Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. I'm Jenny Malsabano, a contributor to the Daily Signal, filling in for Bree Payton at The Federalist. And I'm Kelsey Harkness, a senior news producer at The Daily Signal. Today, we'll be covering Meghan McCain's major success on The View, rapper Cardi B on her political views, Khloe Kardashian's baby daddy reportedly cheating on her days before she's due to give birth, and Seth Meyers' wife giving birth on a lobby floor. We'll also be talking about the Women's March, criticizing the Trump administration for cracking down on sex trafficking and illegal prostitution, a 17-year-old Florida high school student who got in trouble for not wearing a bra to school, and the complete nonsense of equal payday. Of course, we'll be announcing our problematic woman of the week. But first, to kick things off, I want to applaud Variety for honoring Meghan McCain on their annual Power of Women in New York list. So, so often on the show, we're talking about uh, different news organizations that leave conservative women out when they're honoring and champion women. And finally, Meghan McCain, the conservative on The View, was honored. This is what they wrote in the article, quote, McCain, the conservative pundit and daughter of Senator John McCain, helped boost The View's ratings when she joined the Hot Topics table in September. Ratings are up to 3 million viewers on the syndicated ABC talk show moderated by Whoopi Goldberg, making it the most watched season in three years. So here's a clip in honor of this. I want to play a clip from The View yesterday when Meghan McCain and Joy Bear were going at it after the news that Speaker Paul Ryan is stepping down from his speakership and also from his uh, role in Congress. Um, He said he's stepping down to spend more time with his family. And here was Meghan McCain's reaction. The blank tape that came out vociferously against him. This is the problem, though. What do you want? If Paul Ryan isn't I good enough and people. Out. But that's not logical. <laughs> we shouldn't want that. We live in a democracy. We should want two healthy parties I do want debating against each other. But if, you, the... but if Paul Ryan is the greatest sin, this is how we got Trump. Because if Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney and people like this are the worst kind of politicians, then you deserve Trump. Because he's not. He's a truly decent man that was trying to fight for democracy and conservative ideals. And now what's going to be left, I have no idea. But he's leaving. He's he not fighting leaving. the good fight. And that's no, the problem. I think, I think it's fair. That's fair, that. but to say that he's like the worst of the worst of the worst is just incomplete. Like, he's, he's a leader. He's a leader. Feisty there, but I think she makes a very good point. Yeah, I really applaud her for that because I was reading something that said if you can't acknowledge that he's a really decent guy, a great husband, a great father, if you can't even acknowledge that, then something is wrong. And so I really applaud her for speaking her mind. All right, next up, so rapper Cardi B has a new album out, and so she's doing a ton of media. And you might remember a couple weeks ago she made a political splash when she discussed taxes On this latest interview she did, she actually explained why she didn't have an abortion. She's pregnant right now, and she said that she didn't want to live with the regret of having an abortion, and she also took issue with people immediately questioning whether she'd choose her baby or her career, and she was pretty frank in asking, well, why can't I have both? Because according to her, she is choosing both. She's having the baby. She's full steam ahead with her career. Um, It's really cool to watch, and she said that people who question her or ask her what she's choosing, that they, quote, disgust her. So this was strong stuff, but really good to see, and also definitely not the typical take out of Hollywood, but very refreshing. 
Cardi B keeps surprising us in many different she ways, does. and I hope she continues because it's incredibly entertaining and often educational. Yeah. All right, so Khloe Kardashian's baby daddy, Tristan Thompson of the Cle- Cleveland Cavaliers, was caught getting too close to another woman days before Khloe is expected to give birth. The backstory about this is that Thompson already has a child, a, a baby boy, with his ex, and her, and that son was born days after he started dating Khloe Kardashian. It's unclear whether uh, the he, he was together with his ex, um, when Chloe started dating him, so this was a relationship that came out of a very strange situation. Um, but Thompson and, and Chloe Kardashian began dating in September 26, um, when his ex-girlfriend was still pregnant. Um, now that his first son's child is six, 16 months old, and a lot of people are criticizing Chloe, saying she's a homewrecker and that she shouldn't be surprised by Thompson's bad behavior um, because you lose them like you get them. That saying, um, but others are more sympathetic to Khloe Kardashian because on her show Keeping Up with the Kardashians, she sort of sort of plays this hopeless romantic, and she's been surrounded by her sisters who have so many children. You could just tell she lo- longed for one of her own. Now that she's finally getting that, um, her it seems that her relationship is falling apart. But we'll see, um, we'll see what happens from that relationship. But last night when Thompson was playing at his basketball game, he was, I would say, rightly booed. Um, in, in the arena when he was playing against the New York Knicks. Some attendees even brought signs supporting Chloe and keeping up with the Kardashians. So we will see what happens. But I guess maybe the only lesson to be learned here is maybe get married and find that commitment before having a child. And hopefully you won't find yourself in the situation. But we do pray for Chloe and for this innocent uh, baby girl, I believe she's having, who really does not um, deserve to be in this situation and now might not have a stable family to uh, provide for, but they do have a lot of money, at least. I know. We'll certainly be thinking of Chloe because how terrible the week that she's supposed to give birth. And you have to wonder what his team is thinking about all of this because this has to be a massive uh, distraction. distraction. I, I can't even imagine. But in other baby news, so Zeth Myers, the comedian, his wife gave birth on their lobby floor. She didn't make it to the hospital in time. And he told this story on his show the other night, um, that the, actually the day after she had the baby. It was very entertaining. Basically, they get in the elevator and she's telling him, you know, I'm not going to make it. I can't get into the Uber. And he's like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. <laughs> and she just has the baby in the lobby floor. Like with her sweatpants still yes. on. And yes. she's like, I have a baby <laughs> in my sweatpants. And Seth said it was look, it looked like his wife was trying to yes. hide a baby in her sweatpants. Yes. So he's just blown away. Everything was fine. But it literally happens on the lobby floor. Um, and so we're going to play you a clip right now of him retelling the story. <laughs> Side, and we basically get to the steps of our building. We're in the lobby and we're walking out the steps. And my wife just says, I can't get in the car. I'm going to have the baby right now. The baby is coming. And I, uh, I just, I'm trying to calm her down. I'm like, look, this is it again. I know because I've been through exactly one birth. <laughs> I'm like, this happens all the time. You're feeling, it's not, trust me. I know when I'm talking. Uh, but even uh, our doula, Neela, was saying, like, look, it's, this is, you're going to be fine. And she's like, my wife is saying, uh, the baby is coming. The baby is the baby is out. At which point, uh, Neely looked and then looked at me and said, "The baby is out." 
and I looked at my wife, and the only way I can describe how my wife looked was uh, she looked like someone who was hiding a baby in a pair of sweatpants. <laughs> it was... It was like someone who was trying to, like, sneak a baby on a plane. So on a more serious note, he explained the baby's name. They named their son Axel Strahl. Strahl is the last name of his wife's grandparents, and they actually met the day after they were liberated. They were Holocaust survivors. Um, so there's a lot of significance there, and it's actually Holocaust Remembrance Day um, yesterday and today. So a lot of meaning there. Glad everybody is okay. Yeah, and I actually did some research and found out his wife is a human rights attorney uh, similar to Clooney's wife. Um, so she, she, you know, you see a lot of celebrities marrying fellow celebrities, and uh, he took a different path. Uh, we might not agree with him on a lot of issues, but that was a hilarious story that we had to share. So, again, on a more serious note, uh, the Women's March is back in the news, not surprisingly, not for flattering reasons. So they are out there criticizing the Justice Department and the Trump administration for cracking down on sex trafficking and illegal prostitution in recent weeks and criticizing uh, the Justice Department for cracking down on websites that enable sex trafficking and illegal prostitution like Backpage.com. So the backstory is that a federal grand jury in Phoenix returned a 93-count indictment against seven people associated with Backpage.com on Friday for their alleged involvement in knowingly facilitating illegal prostitution and money laundering. The Women's March responded by tweeting, Quote, the shutting down of Backpage is an absolute crisis for sex workers who rely on the site to safely get in touch with clients. Sex workers' rights are women's rights. So the crackdown of Backpage.com, which came from the Justice Department, collided with the passing of uh, a bill called Allow the Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Wednesday morning, President Trump signed this bill, which passed with bipartisan support, very rare these days. And it's the biggest anti-sex trafficking bill that has ever been signed into law since the Trafficking Victims Protection, Protection Reauthorization Act of 2003. The bill closes the loophole that allowed bad actor websites like Backpage.com to not only uh, facilitate prostitution and sex trafficking, but also to profit from the ads selling women and children against their will. So the Women's March, big picture, is they're arguing that websites like Craigslist and Backpage.com pushes sex workers and sex trafficking victims underground into street-based sex works sex work where they are at greater risk of violence than if they were just sold online. So I, I, I think there is a legitimate concern there mm -hmm. that when you push these women underground, they're just completely invisible to right. anybody. But the problem is websites like Backpage.com, if you actually read the Justice Department's indictment, children have died because of this, they've been killed, they've been sold into sex trafficking, and the website just enables this. There's absolutely no excuse for this. And so I don't understand how you can put the benefit of women who choose to be sex, choose to be sex workers over the perils of the women who have actually died or been forced into sex slavery because of websites like Backpage.com. That's basically what is happening. So, Jenny, I'm curious, 
this is a big issue, and what are your thoughts? Well, I feel like we shouldn't really be surprised by the Women's March reaction, but it is kind of appalling. Like you said, there's a fair point to say, look, when these women are invisible, when they go underground, when we can't see what's going on, it opens up a whole other range of issues, right? But women and children have died. They're being abused against their will. This is a huge problem. So if the Women's March claims, you know, women's rights, let's support women, why wouldn't they come out and say, look, we recognize there's a serious problem with this. Why are they trying to save it so much? Why not engage in a discussion? Instead, they come out just so heated trying to support Backpage. You have to acknowledge there's a major issue here. And not to mention, some of the ads on Backpage.com are actually overtly racist. And the Women's March is constantly claiming that they're fighting against racism. And then there's ads on Backpage.com advertising women or or, or, or teenage girls um, to men, but quote unquote, no black men allowed. So this website is not only enabling sex trafficking, it's enabling racism. And then the women to see the Women's March defend it, I think is just appalling and really should be a wake-up call to any anyone who attended the Women's March or plans on attending one in the future and wears those cute little pink, you know what, hats. You need to research what you're actually supporting because what you are supporting is violence against women and you're supporting racism. You're supporting some really disgusting acts. The Women's March has gone a bridge way too far yeah. on this front. And it really angers me that they're out there um, trying to push back against uh, against this very laudable action taken by the Justice Department and the Trump administration. Well, I'm really glad that you decided to focus on this today because it's so easy to go on Twitter and like a tweet from Women's March or retweet. People need to understand you can be a feminist. That's great. There's a lot more to this issue than what they're letting on to. And you need to understand the full picture. Do your research. Yes. I agree. Do your research. So in other uh, big news, a 17-year-old Florida high school student and her mom, they're being praised for daring to fight back after a school nurse gave the 17-year-old high school student Band-Aids to cover her nipples at school. And you might be wondering, wait, what Band-Aids? Yes, <laughs> this actually happened. And it only came to this point after the girl showed up to school in a long sleeve shirt but without a bra. And naturally, the school's dean reported her um, and told her, look, we're going to have to do something about this. Hence the nurse giving her the Band-Aids because they said, look, this is distracting young boys. Also, it's in violation of the school's dress code. Um, so he gave her another shirt to wear. So, so first a dean gave her another shirt to wear and was like, look, your your outfit is distracting right. to young high school boys who are staring at your breasts in class. Yes. And apparently that wasn't good enough. And then she got sent to the nurse. And the nurse, you know, I guess she looked in her closet behind her and was like, oh, I have some Band-Aids. Why don't we solve this with that? And, and that's interesting. That's that, where this story got real weird. And it keeps just <laughs> getting weirder. And so this student, her name is Lizzie Martinez, she said, quote, I was in shock that it was such a big deal that I wasn't wearing a bra. Most days I don't wear one. It depends on my mood. I'm not wearing one right now, and why should it matter? So the school, since all of this went down, they've apologized for mishandling the situation. But I think what's important is that they are standing by its statement that she was, in fact, in violation of the dress code. So Kelsey and I were talking about this yesterday when, when we were prepping for the show. And clearly, schools need to have a dress code. That's very important. And Kelsey, you were actually telling me a story about you when you were in school, and I think you should share it. <laughs> Oh man, I don't I can't believe I have to share this story publicly. Well, first off on this story, let me first say that two wrongs don't make a right. Mm-hmm. So the girl should not have been 
you know, distracting boys in the first place if she has, if if her school has a dress code. But also, the school nurse should not have given her band-aids to cover up. So I don't think we want to defend any of those actions. But I also think we want to point out that schools are allowed to have dress codes. We have dress codes in the office, and I think young girls need to learn how to dress appropriately. Um, Young boys have way too many hormones going on, and it's... Many, most most schools, even public schools, have dress codes. That's what really the story comes down to. But, you know, the Band-Aids, of course, were a little sensational. And that's how the story ended up even on the New York Times. Yes. Um, but my point in schools having dress codes is that this this is nothing new, I will say. So I was in high school, and I was wearing these kind of white, swishy sweatpants, which were really cool back then. And it was downpouring that day. And I walk into class and, like, super uncomfortable, my pants sticking to my legs, like, trying to sit down. And my teacher comes up to me and was like, Kelsey, can you step outside for a second? And I'm like, oh, gosh, like, what what I do? I had no idea it was about my wardrobe. And she says, um, we're going to have you call your mom and ask your mom to bring in another pair of pants for you because your pants are see-through. I didn't realize all the boys, all the girls, everyone in the classroom could see right through my white swishy pants. So I had to call my mom. My mom luckily was home and was able to bring me in a change of clothes. But the point of this story is this isn't ridiculous that there's there needs to be a school dress code. If you're dressed inappropriately for school, hopefully you can get some help to um, cover up. But Band-Aids would have worked for me, and I don't think they're appropriate for this girl uh so i guess we'll leave it at that (laughs) we will that was one of the weirder stories i saw this week very weird all right we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna tell you all you need to know about this quote-unquote equal payday that happened this week And we're back. This past Tuesday was Equal Pay Day, which many of us think is, quite frankly, complete nonsense and can actually serve to hurt women's interests. Right now, I have Rachel Gresler, a senior policy analyst in economics and entitlements at the Heritage Foundation Center for Data Analysis on the phone to talk about this. Rachel wrote a great piece on Equal Pay Day for The Daily Signal. I encourage you all to check it out. Um, But Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Rachel, you're actually on maternity leave right now. You just had your sixth child um, and ironically <laughs> are writing about equal pay days. So first off, congratulations. Thank you. And second off, I just have to point out if there's anyone's um, take on this issue, you can trust. I think it's a working mom who just had her sixth child and is actually on maternity leave. I, I would think you have <laughs> all of women's best interests in mind when you cover these issues. Um, so let's get into it. Um, first off, can you tell us, can you explain this quote unquote holiday to us and why, in your opinion, it actually can serve to hurt women's interests? Yes. So Equal Pay Day, which was celebrated this year on April 10th, is supposed to signify the period into the new year that women have to work in order to earn just as much as their male counterparts did in the previous year. Um, Now, of course, this is not true. No women would actually work that long if they had to, but this looks at flawed and incomplete statistics that say women only make 82 cents on the dollar compared to men. That's comparing all wage and salary workers and just looking at the median earnings of them. And so it doesn't take into account 
many of the important factors that actually determine what men and women are paid. Yes. So basically, from my understanding, they say this time around April, which really is not the correct date, is um, now starting now is when we would be getting equal pay to that of a man. That's why they choose this timing. But ironically, people have done the math and the timing, even if you even if you buy into their statistics, it's still wrong. Yes. So the April 10th was probably based on an old statistic when they used to say women only made 77 cents on the dollar compared to men. And if you go back a couple of decades, it was 62 cents on the dollar compared to men. So even using these wrong statistics, we've made gains to get up that, that 82 cent figure. But if we did actually look at the 82 cent figure, equal payday would have been back on March 21st. Um, so a couple of weeks earlier than when they're actually celebrating it. Fake holiday. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I came across what I thought was a really interesting article in the New York Times this week called The 10-Year Baby Window That is the Key to the Women's Pay Gap. Its subhead reads, women who have their first child before 25 or after 35 eventually close the salary divide with their husbands. It's the years in between that are the most problematic research shows. So using a working paper that was published last year by the Census Bureau, the article points out that children account for much of the remaining gender pay gap that exists between men and women. And that pay gap occurs between the ages of 25 and 35 when women are most likely to be having children and maybe slow down or shift their workload. At that same time, husbands, men often are not taking time off or shifting their careers around. Some of them are probably actually working more to compensate for their wife, maybe working a more flexible schedule, and their income either stays the same or gets higher during that time. So what I wanted to ask you about this article is, Based on, you know, statistics and, and articles that the New York Times is writing on, it sounds like this gender pay gap is really women's choice. Exactly. And it's not necessarily just it's not a gender gap. It's actually been looked at in the research more as kind of a motherhood gap. But it's not even saying just because you're a mother, you're going to be discriminated against and paid a lower wage. This is a factor of the choices that mothers make, and I think mothers will always tend to choose a little more time at home with children than fathers will. And so that is why we're seeing this change here as a result of choices in women being willing and wanting to forego higher paying jobs in order to have the flexibility, um, perhaps its benefits, the schedule, whatever it is that they desire that allows them to maintain the work-life balance that they would like. Um, and I think this is something to be celebrated, that women are allowed to stay in the workplace today. We have much higher labor force participation than in the past because there are options there that allow for flexible schedules that give women the choices that they want at work, as opposed to saying you have to choose a nine-to-five, one-size-fits-all job or nothing that didn't really allow women to stay in the labor force after they had children. So if women really want equal pay for equal work, it seems like we're getting that. And to if we were actually to completely eradicate this, this this disparity between the earnings of men and women, it seems like women would actually be getting more money for doing less work than men. Is that correct? Yes, I think it would hurt women if we try to artificially eradicate these differences in wages that arise because of choices that men and women make. And so if we're to say, look, if you're 
um, whatever the occupation is. If you are a hairdresser, if you're working on an assembly line, if you're a writer, a doctor, a lawyer, you must be paid the exact same amount just because your title is the same as somebody else. Well, then employers have to say you must do the exact same job. You must work the exact same hours. You must accept the exact same benefits package. And that's not something that women want. Um, and so I think that this is a perfect example of, you know, using the statistics in a wrong way to advocate for policies that will actually hurt women and take away the gains that they've made over recent years. Um, we've seen a lot more flexible jobs. We've seen more family-friendly policies, not only more paid maternity leave, but companies that are offering paid paternity leave. Um, and so there are things that workers desire, and when they're able to express those desires and to negotiate for those benefits or wages, whatever it is, you see a mutual benefit to both the employer and the employee. But when the government steps in and says, you must pay everybody with the title of XYZ the exact same amount, regardless of their education background, regardless of what hours of the day they work, total hours, their output, et cetera, you end up hurting the people that you're trying to help. Another interesting factoid that I pulled from this piece in the New York Times was research comparing the U.S. to Scandinavia. Um, and this research particularly um, was it was about uh, it was about maternity leave and length of maternity leave plans. So the left is always pointing towards these liberal, if not socialist countries um and, and the policies in, over in Europe and Scandinavian countries arguing that we in the United States should adopt them. Um, but what this research points out is that the outcome for women's income um, based on different maternity leave plans are really no different. So here's what the article said. The two areas, the U.S. and Scandinavian countries, have very different uh, economics and family policies. Yet in both places, women's pay plummets after they have children. Scandinavian nations have generous paid paternal leave as part of federal policy, while the United States government offers none. It might be because both types of policies, no paid leave and very long paid leave, lead to women stop working. Economists have found that moderate length leaves of several months are actually ideal for women to continue working. So Rachel, I was curious to ask what you make of that data talking about the length of maternity leave plans that are actually ideal for companies to offer. Yes, I think there is significant evidence to point to these European policies that offer you know, if not six months, even up to two or three years of leave, often with full pay, um, they actually don't benefit women in terms of their earnings in the long run. And a large part of that is because employers um, then see women as being more likely to take this leave and to approaching their time out of the workforce. They won't be calling them up for promotions. A little bit harder for them to get back in the door, and they might not come in at the same level they were before. And they certainly wouldn't be at the level they would if they'd been there for the past two or three years and been um, earning higher pay levels and receiving promotions along the way. And so I think the evidence is leaves of longer than six months lead to lower pay, largely because the promotions aren't happening um, as a result of the women being out of the labor force. In the U.S., you know, typical leave is six to 12 weeks, and there actually is a lot more access to that leave than the official statistics present. Um, and I think that that's probably an ideal time, but it, the ideal time really has to be worked out between the individual employer and the employee. You know, I've noticed myself 
the first child wanted a little more leave after getting more used to it. You know, by the sixth child, by I don't need sixth. quite as much leave. Um, <laughs> you know the drill by then. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, um, businesses should have the flexibility to say to the workers, you know, how much leave do you want? It's, whether it's co- a collective group of workers or if it's on an individual basis. And if we look towards a federal policy, I think we're going to start out with something that will be relatively modest at first, six weeks. That won't be enough for some people. Um, and yet it's enough that it can have an impact on employers if they're required to pay for that. It could lead to job reductions because they've got to cover the cost somewhere. It could lead to lower wages. Um, and so I would just urge that instead of looking to the federal government to say this is the ideal policy for everybody in the U.S., we should allow the employers um, to work with their employees. And we've even seen the state enacting their own policies. And that's a better solution than having one policy is to allow the 50 different states to see what works best for them um, and their citizens. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. I think it's a really important subject because this quote-unquote gender pay gap has been debunked for quite a few years now, and yet the left really uses it as a mobilizing uh, campaign to tell women and young women who might not know the research and the facts like you do that they are victims of some really unfair economy. So we appreciate you joining us on Problematic Women, and we wish you the best during your maternity leave. Thank you. And we're back with our next segment, This is What Feminism Looks Like. So this week we're highlighting Brenna Spencer. She's a college student in Tennessee. She's affiliated with Turning Point USA. She's also a proud Second Amendment supporter and a proud Trump supporter. So what she did that's so controversial, she took some graduation photos and she posed with her gun tucked into her jeans. And she was also wearing a pink shirt that said Women for Trump. Um, so she posted this around. Naturally, the left completely freaked out. And her caption was, you know, I don't take normal college graduation photos. So people on the left are flipping out because, you know, how dare, you know, a female exercise her right to carry and whatnot. Um, ABC News actually reported her to the police because they thought she was breaking a concealed carry law. She wasn't. And she's even said in interviews that she knows her rights and, and where she can carry and where she can't. You find a lot of Second Amendment supporters do. They're very yes. detail-oriented when it comes important. to their right to carry. You need to be knowledgeable about that. And so ABC News calls the police. My favorite part of this is that after all of this happens, her best friend, um, Alana, who's also affiliated with Turning Point, did the same pose in defense of her friend Brenna. That's gone viral. And so you have to <laughs> hand it to them. Like They're having fun with this because the outrage is ridiculous. Um, and so our Daily Signal intern, Chrissy Clark, actually got a written interview with Brenna over Twitter, and we're going to read to you what she had to say. So what Chrissy asked is, you know, could you just tell us kind of about your experience and what's going on? And um, Brenna said, I wanted my graduation photos to be personal and to be about my journey with me loving the Second Amendment and conservative politics is what inspired me to take and post the photo. Um, She thinks that standing up for what she believes in is empowering to women to also protect themselves is also a very, very helpful thing, which is what she was trying to get across in this photo, Um, because people often forget there is self-defense aspect to women carrying. Absolutely. So what's your take on this? Do you think the media, once again, is just overblowing something that shouldn't be? It's totally overblown. And I even think the outrage 
um, that she faced was overblown by in the media's coverage mm-hmm. of this quote unquote outrage. Because if you actually look at some of the responses she got on Twitter, they're like a random couple people who are hating on her because she's a Trump supporter and likes guns. But the reality is, I think normal Americans you know, in her town are probably okay with it, even if she disagrees with it. But it's like when one little news outlet picks up the outrage, that outrage just builds and builds and builds. And by the time it reaches ABC News, it's like this massive news story where if you look at it from the beginning, um, nobody was really that upset about it. Um, But I do give this girl a lot of credit for speaking her mind and making her views known because it does does take some bravery, especially as a young woman in today's political environment and culture, um, to stand up for what you believe in. I think we need more girls like this. Also communicating why it's important for her to defend herself. Yeah, I thought it was great. I still can't believe ABC News called the police. Good for Rena. <laughs> that part is the most ridiculous aspect of this whole story. All right. Well, it is that time to to reveal our problematic woman of the week. Woman, because there's more than one. So our problematic women of the week goes to the Facebook sensations Diamond and Silk. I'm sure most of them have heard, most of you have heard about them or seen them in the news this week. But if you haven't, they are two African-American sisters who have gained over a million followers for their outspoken support of President Trump. They are in the news this week because they've also accused Facebook of biased censorship and discrimination against them, um, saying Facebook has suppressed their videos and actually called them unsafe to their community. So they said they reached out to Facebook in September after they saw their audience reach and size decline. And after months of demanding an answer, they were informed by Facebook on Thursday, which was really inconvenient time for Facebook, given that Mark Zuckerberg is actually testifying this week. But they were informed last Thursday that, quote, the policy team came to the conclusion that your content and your brand has been determined unsafe to the community. So they have been extremely problematic for not only all of Facebook, but for Mark Zuckerberg, who just spent two days testifying before both the House and Senate on issues relating to Facebook. Multiple members of Congress brought them up. And this is what Diamond and Silk said um, they would want to tell Mark Zuckerberg um, if they if they had the opportunity to talk to them. This is from Fox News. Face to face with Mark Zuckerberg. I assume you would say yes, that you'd want to do that. What would you say to him? I will let him know that we are not unsafe. We are not animals. We are two black chicks that's down with politics, that's patriotic, that loves our country, that loves our president, and that loves his agenda. That's right. And then I will tell him what measures he needs to put in place so that everybody can be protected. This is really an easy fix. That's right. Sure. You know, uh, he's going to sit down in front of a House committee later today. There might be a member of the House of Representatives watching right now. What question would you like them to ask of the CEO of Facebook? Why is he being biased towards conservatives, Republicans, people that support our president? And why is he trying to turn his platform into a political playground? And what is he going to do to rectify this with diamond and silk? Because we are not unsafe to our community. What did you think when you were brought up? And one more question. What is so unsafe about two black women supporting the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump? 
So, Ginny, you can see why they have such a strong following. They are very outspoken, big personalities, um, inconvenient narrative to to the left because they are to uh, minority women who proudly support him. I'm curious, Ginny, though, I know you watched the Facebook hearings a bit this week. Diamond and Silk did get brought up. What did you think? What did you make of Mark Zuckerberg's response to um, this, to both Diamond and Silk, and really what they symbolize, which is a lot of conservatives feeling that Facebook is biased against them? You know, I think he could have been better in his answers, but I think that when you watch it, it is very clear that there is a left wing bias. Um, I would like personally to question him more about it. Uh, Senator Cruz and Senator Sass did a really good job on this and not letting it go. And I think it's important to know that there is clearly an issue. And when I first was following all this, I mean, I followed Diamond and Silk since the campaign, but this specific Facebook issue, I kind of laughed because I thought if Diamond and Silk are deemed unsafe, then what on earth would they deem Jimmy Kimmel, right? Because he's flat out making fun of and mocking the First Lady of the United States. So clearly he has to be in the same category, right? But of course, no. So obviously there's a double standard. It's extremely hypocritical, which isn't surprising, but is very disappointing. And I'm glad that Diamond and Silk aren't backing down. I think they do need to stay on this um, because it's a very real problem. I believe Mark Zuckerberg, when he says this is an issue he takes seriously, um, the perception of bias against conservatives at Facebook. But from the testimony that I heard, it almost seemed like it almost seemed like Mark Zuckerberg had no control of his own company that maybe he I I maybe believe him. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want Facebook to be biased against conservatives, but he just doesn't have control of all of the far left Silicon Valley employees at Facebook. And so it's really, I don't know how he's going to solve or address this problem, but it was, I think, um, a big moment for a lot of conservatives, including us who are in the conservative news space and have seen our Facebook views falling. So if you if you like this, if you listen to our podcast, please like The Daily Signal on Facebook, because it's been really challenging for conservatives to get their message out there, given this new algorithm. Um, but I'm glad to see this issue brought to the attention um, by members of Congress as it did this week. And I hope Mark Zuckerberg realizes that if he wants to survive, he really needs to um, address it. He and his team have a lot of homework to do, I would say. And that's good. I'm glad Diamond and Silk are using their platform to get the word out because there's a lot of smaller conservative organizations or, or personalities that don't have quite the reach they do. But they're on Fox News promoting it. And I think that's awesome. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow my work at The Daily Signal or on Twitter at Jenny Maltavano. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist, and it is co-produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal and our amazing intern this semester, Megan Decker. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We really appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong, conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 